besides the 80,000 that were in Fayetteville last night, and my wife was, <laughs> but I was not. I actually had a ticket, but, uh, you know, I, it, I didn't. It was several weeks, months or more back, and I was talking about preaching this, and it didn't really occur to me, oh, that's the Sunday after the, con- the Gosh Bruce concert. And I said, no way, I can't do that. And to get up and, and so, but I had much rather, I'd rather have the privilege of what I'm doing here this morning uh, than any Garth Brooks concert, as good as I'm sure that it was. So, we are, after a break last week for Easter, we are continuing uh, on in the book of Colossians. Uh, this week we're in chapter 3. We're going to cover chapter 3, uh, 1 through 17. And what I'm calling the process of sanctification. Now you won't hear in the modern Western church, uh, you don't hear this a lot. You don't hear it preached. You don't hear it really even the doctrine of sanctification talked about. A whole lot, and if it is, uh, they're kind of indifferent, or they don't really necessarily understand it. Uh, but I think it's, uh, as we'll hopefully I can show you, uh, it's very important to us as Christians in our walk with God. So let's, before we start, let's pray real quick. Father, we just praise you and worship you here this morning. We just thank you, Lord, for the presence of the Holy Spirit here with us. Lord, we pray that he might, Lord, as our supreme teacher, uh, that he might open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, Lord, to your word this morning. Lord, that he would quicken us alive, that he would uh, uh, give us, Lord, not only ears to hear, but uh, hearts to minds to understand, Lord, and that we would not just be hearers only, but that we would be doers of your word, Father. And I just pray that we, uh, as we look, Lord, into your perfect, into your word, Lord, that it would, Lord, be that image, Lord, that uh, mirror, Lord, that shows us and teaches us, Lord, uh, the things that we need to remove and the thing that we need to add on, Father. And I just pray, Lord, I uh, just thank you for the anointing on your word. I thank you that it is alive and that it is powerful and it is active and that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we just praise you and worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Sanctify. At its base, at its root, it's to separate. To set apart uh, in our in theological setting, I guess uh, it would be uh, so that we are sanctified when our lives are lived out according to God's purpose and design, uh, or the process of sanctification would be becoming more like Christ in our conduct and our character day in and day out. Romans 13, 14 says to put on or to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. The life of the believer is very basically set apart by two bookends with a process in the middle. Uh, On the front end is uh, justification, where we're saved, where we're born again, we're redeemed, uh, we're made right with God by the sacrifice of Jesus, and this occurs by faith alone and Christ alone. The only part in that that we have is just the faith that was not even ours, but it was the gift of God. On the Back end, 
uh, is glorification. Uh, when we get to see and be with Jesus. First uh, Corinthians 15.52 says, In the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised and perishable, and we shall be changed. Which will be our glorification. But between that time, between justification, we, when we are saved, and glorification, uh, all that ground right in there is all taken up with the process of sanctification, which is being set apart from sin and being used and living our life for the design which God had for us. So both these events that happen, that bookend this, are instantaneous, and they are brought out, brought about wholly by God. We really don't, we are part of it, but, but it is all his effort, his doing, by which we are justified and glorified. But as this, as this journey starts after justification, it starts with Christ buying uh, this transformation. And we read earlier, a couple of weeks ago, in Colossians 2.13, it says that we were dead in our sin and trespasses, but were made alive in Him, in Christ. Peter talks about coming out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. The prodigal's father said that his son was lost but now he is found and so we have this sharp contrast this this distinction made uh after justification from from uh <clears throat> from being lost from being in sin uh to being made alive to being dead in sin uh in darkness and then in light, lost but now found. Romans 6, 4. We're going to cover a lot of scripture today if you hadn't noticed already. <clears throat> Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Which, if you were baptized, whoever baptized you should have when they leaned you back should have said buried uh, with him in death and when they stood you up raised the walk in the newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 Therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old has passed away behold the new has come. We don't use that word behold very much. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've used behold in the sentence this week that I'm aware of. But uh, behold, to look, to see, to stare, to gaze at, set your eyes on. Uh, and what should we, we should be seeing a visible, perceivable, noticeable, obvious change from one side of justification to the other. It should be visible. Which kind of brings me to the big idea of the day, if you want to call it that. Uh, you come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. Uh, any David Crowder fans? You know, David Crowder got a great song, Come As You Are. Uh, Hymn that we've sang forever, just as I am, uh, without one plea. You don't have to make any changes to come. Jesus wouldn't have it any other way. He wants you to come as just as you are. Have you ever been, uh, have you, along those lines, you ever been trying to maybe talk to somebody, share with somebody about Jesus or whatever, and they say, well, you know, I really need to get some stuff straightened out in my life. I need to get, you know, well, that's, that's really just code for I really don't want to give up my sinful lifestyle because, I mean, that would be the equivalent of you being sick as a dog and 
your spouse or mother or some significant other says, okay, I'm taking you to the doctor, and you go, well, no, I want to get the feeling a little bit better before I go to the doctor. So, you know, no, you come to Jesus just as you are. But afterwards, after that, things have to start to change. Scripture after Scripture bears this out. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20. And we'll kick it up another notch as we're kind of talking about sanctification. We'll put this one on the screen. 1 Peter 15 and 16. But he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. How much of your conduct? All of your conduct. At work, at home, on vacation, when you're by yourself, uh, what you watch on TV, what you look at on the computer, uh, what you let into your ear gate, uh, what you listen to. All your conduct should be holy. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Uh, the name it and claim it, prosperity churches are not preaching this. This is not uh, one of their memory verses for the most part. But it tells us where we should be headed after justification. We should be headed toward holiness. One more scripture. Romans 6.22 But now that you have been set free from the sin, from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and is in eternal life. Set free from sin Slaves of God. That's not what you were before you were justified. But it's where we're headed in this process of sanctification. If you took, uh, you will, uh, visualize a graph on the, on the vertical. It, down here at the bottom is uh, itty bitty teeny weeny baby Christian. And up at the top up here is Sainthood, okay? Uh, the horizontal line is time. Days, months, years, whatever it is from the time you are born again and saved. There should be progress. And sure, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be jagged. We still live in this body. And we're going to get knocked off our horse every now and then. And we're going to have things uh, that happen in this life that, uh, that knocks the wind out of us. So, it, you know, it's, it's not going to be a straight line, but there should be definite progress. We should be going up the chart, up the vertical chart, as we go out the horizontal line. The longer that we uh, have been Christians, the longer that we have been justified and we start on this road of sanctification, we need to be making progress in this process of sanctification. You know, if I see somebody's life and, you know, I, I no one can know another man's heart, but, you know, when you, when you see somebody's life and their graph kind of like it just barely comes up uh, off the bottom and then it just flatlines going out this way, you have to wonder. I don't know. Uh, I think maybe sometimes think folks think they can buy fire insurance. Uh, you know, maybe I can just say, I believe. Oh, yeah, I believe. And, uh, but I'm going to live just like I've always lived. I'm going to live just like the world, and I have no spiritual fruit. Uh, but I'm covered, covered just in case. 
you know, this Jesus thing is real. Uh, I'm afraid that they are in for an eternity of what they think they're avoiding, but you have to know your heart. So this brings us to the first, I find that's the introduction. <laughs> we will get to, uh, now we'll start in on, uh, on, the, uh, on Colossians 3. Let's do this, in, I'm going to do this in parts. I'm going to read Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You need to underline that. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So I call this first section, this first step, here in, in uh, verses 1 through 4, get your mind right. I don't know if your dad, my dad used to tell me all the time, you need to get your mind right, boy. Uh, so the first thing Paul is telling us is we need to get our mind, some things settled in our mind. And I would start with that first word in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, if. Now Paul is speaking, because he's speaking in hypothetical, he doesn't know if whoever reads this, if they have been justified or not. But you need to know for sure that you are justified. There needs to be, there needs to be no if. I don't know if you write in the margins of your Bible or you got a little, some note cards or whatever, but you need to rewrite that and say, I have been raised with Christ. There is no doubt, absolutely positively, no doubt in my mind whatsoever that I have been raised with Christ. You need to know that you know that you know. Uh, 2 Corinthians says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So you need to know where you stand. Exactly. You need to know that you have been raised with Christ because when you are, you will start to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You will start thinking about and using your mind uh, and getting your brain engaged into the things, not just of this, not this world, because we all have to live here and we have to make a living and we have to do all that. I understand that. But your mind needs to be engaged uh, uh, with uh, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. So we need to start getting in this Word and start thinking about and meditating and studying and memorizing the Word of God. And things will start to come apparent and start to become clear in our mind. Second Corinthians six sixteen says, For we are the temple of the living God. Uh, down here in verse 3, it says our lives are hidden with Christ in God. So we're the temple of the living God. We are hidden with Christ in God. Romans 8, 11. Did we get Romans 8, 11? I'll read it. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this part of getting your mind right, you need to get it wrapped around the fact that uh, Christ is in you, you are in Christ, you're the temple of the living God, and that the very self-same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is dwelling inside of you. This makes you a different person. You do not look like you looked before if this has happened to you. There's no way that you can look the same. There's no way you can be the same. You can't talk the same, act the same, go to the same places. You can't do it if, if this is true in your life. So you need to get the facts 
your mind and then let that settle down uh, into your heart. John 15, 4, the Gospel of John. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So here we have it again. We're abiding in him. He's abiding in us. God's abiding in us. This Holy Spirit's abiding in us. Uh, so the natural order of things, or maybe the supernatural order of things, is uh, abide equals fruit. And not just some fruit, not just fruit, but much fruit is what Jesus tells us. I don't know if any of you ever gardened. You ever laid out about 20 squash plants in a, in a row? You know, if, if you did it right and they're getting sun and it's getting water and you keep them dusted so the, so the squash bugs don't eat them, you know. You watch it and it starts out, this little thing comes up and it's a little thing, and then, but, you know, it's not very long at all. Boy, the leaves are getting bigger, and it's growing, and it's getting up. And then you walk out there one day, and there's blossoms on, this, on all these squash plants. And then you walk out there just a couple of days longer, and you've got to take a five-gallon bucket with you because it's squash. And then you think, well, I got it all. And then you walk back out there the next day or two, and... <laughs> You've got to go back and get your bucket, and it's not very long, and you have eaten squash everywhere you can eat it. You have canned it. You put it up, and now you're taking Walmart bags, and you're leaving them at the doorstep or your friends. You don't even give them a chance to say no. You just put it at their door, and you run and leave it. You know, that's what, and so this is, how, this is how fruit should be with us. We should bear much fruit when we abide in Jesus, and Jesus abides in us, and the Holy Spirit is in us, and we are the temple of the living God, uh, some fruit ought to start hanging off of you somewhere. It's just the natural or supernatural order of things. Romans 12.2 talks about a very famous verse, talks about the renewal of our mind. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Philippians 4.8 So to recap, we're going to get our mind right. We're going to settle it that we are in Christ, that we have been raised with Him. And then we're going to start getting into this Word and we're going to start meditating on what God has done for us and where we stand in Christ, Christ in us and us in Christ. And, and it's just over and over and we're, gonna, and we're gonna get it down in here and here that, and it starts making a difference in our lives. And then if you run out of that to think about, well, just start thinking about heaven if you want to. Just go to Revelation 4 and start reading John and when his, you know, and start trying to imagine what it looks like with the, throne, emeralds, and 24 elders, and creatures with wings and eyes, and, and then all of a sudden there's a scroll, and there's a lamb, and praise and worship breaks out through all the heaven. Can you imagine? Can you think? Can you comprehend? So let's get our minds right. First step in sanctification Second step, this should have pricked somebody's interest, I would have thought, somebody's curiosity. Step two, shish kebab times two. Let's look at Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, 
and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing as you have put off the old self with its practices, and now you have the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's a little... When the first thing I read, and they are talking to me, and it says, put to death, murder, kill, annihilate, whatever kind of word you want to go with it. Put to death, and he, are you talking to me? I do this, right? This, we're not waiting on the Holy Spirit to do this, are we? No. Telling me to put to death what is earthly in me. Uh, because I certainly don't want to face the wrath of God. Because that's what it says, that the wrath of God is coming on account of these things. So, we start looking at this. The Holy Spirit and Jesus move in. And right off the bat, there's conflict. I may even know there's anybody else experienced conflict in their lives when Jesus moved in. Yeah. Yeah, there's conflict because they refuse to live with what's earthly in me. They will not, they won't stay there. Uh, Galatians 5.17 tells that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So they are opposed to one another. So I got to thinking about that. I said, well, maybe we'll have a visual aid. I said, okay, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? And he hands me a skewer. Where are we here? Sexual immorality. Impurity. Nope, not that one. Where is it? I got it. I got them all labeled. Passion. Evil desire. Covetousness. Covetousness. Oh, and I think, well, I'm done. And he says, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, you're not. Uh, we have more. We have anger. We have wrath. We have malice. We have slander. We have profane mouth. And we have lying. Skewered. Oh. Nothing written on this one. But you know what? You know what needs to be written on this, don't you? Just like I do. Because you and I know that we, you and I, have our little pet sins. You know, the ones that we kind of ignore them. We kind of overlook them. We try and justify them. We say, well, that's not really sin. But we know that the Holy Spirit has convicted us many times that we need to get rid of this. I know what it is for me. And I'm pretty sure you know what it is for you. And it needs to go the way of all the rest of this. And then you go, well, what do I do with this? Well, 
Why don't we go over here and lay it at the feet of the cross? Because Galatians 5 and 24 says that those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh and with it its passions and its desires. We need to run it through. We need to get rid of this sin, get rid of this baggage, this excess baggage, this old man baggage that we got hanging around. It needs to be skewered and it needs to be given to God and nailed on the cross as a process of sanctification. And why? Well, verse 10. Verse 10 tells us why. Because we have a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. And how is it being renewed in knowledge? Well, by getting our mind right. Uh, by memorizing and studying and meditating in God's Word and praying like uh, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And then we have uh, all of Paul's prayers recorded in his letters to the churches. And man, could that guy pray. You have to realize that you know, it took me a while. I'm kind of slow. Uh, it took me a while. I'm kind of, I, don't, I don't go to church. I am the church. This is just the building. Here's the church. The church is sitting out there in the chairs and back there in the sound booth and up here leading praise and worship and uh, walking people in with an umbrella in the rain and giving people bulletins and teaching our children about Jesus. That's the church. That's who the church is. And I am the church. I don't go to church. I am the church. Uh, and when I'm not here, when I'm not doing what I should be doing, the church is handicapped. And somebody else is having to pull my weight. We need to be here. As part of sanctification, as part of this growth, we need to be in church. And then the rest of that verse in verse 10. Uh, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We're starting to put on Christ. We're starting to look like Christ. We're starting to, that image of our creator is starting to come through in who we really are. And, you know, I, it's, here again, ding, 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 ding. Light bulbs start to kind of go off in my head just a little bit. And I go, oh, he doesn't want me to just believe. He wants me to follow. That's the real invitation, right, is to follow. That's what he always would come when Jesus would walk up to whomever. Uh, all the Peter, James, the fisherman, or the Matthew, the tax collector, or whoever it was. His invitation was, come, follow me. We want to walk with him and talk with him and learn from him and get taught by him and serve him and we want to we want to start seeing things the way Jesus that sees them through his eyes and we want to love people the way Jesus loves people and we want to be as aware of the harvest as Jesus is aware of the harvest and have that same heart that he does Ephesians 4 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Grow up in every way into him who is the head into Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which... It is equipped when each part, you know who part, you know who we're talking about here? 
talking about us, talking about me and you in the church here, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And then skip down a few verses into verse 24. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I don't know about you, I'm convicted by the word of God. I think it's time to stop using the abundance of grace as a license to sin. I think it's time to stop making glib little tongue-in-cheek excuses like, well, I'm just a work in progress. Okay, Bruce, if you're a work in progress, why don't you examine yourselves and see how much progress you're making? Am I making any progress? That's I'm a work in progress. You ever get a remember school? You get a progress report. <laughs> you know, it was almost it was the foretelling of what the report card was going to be. But you know, you get a a progress report. I've had some not so very good ones. And I think if I looked at mine now with the Holy Spirit, I would have to think maybe I need to do some work and righteousness and holiness and the likeness of God and the likeness of my creator. Step three. Blinded by the sun. S-O-N. Verse 11. Oh, let's go back to Colossians. Here, there are no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Uh, you know, we have in our country today rampant uh, what's known as identity politics. Identity politics is where you start singling people out into groups and you start labeling them and you start ostracizing or vilifying one group over another group or against one another. You start pitting group one group against another group for political or economic gain, whatever it might be. Uh, that has no place in the church at all. And I'll modernize this for you. We don't, I don't think we have any Jews or Greeks or slaves or barbarians that I'm aware of anyway. Uh, so today, for us in America today, it's black, white, brown, yellow, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, that's the group that we're dealing with today, but it really doesn't change anything in the church. Then, uh, it was just a different groups, but all the labels need to be dropped outside the door. They don't need to come in here, and we need to relate to one another based on one thing, and that's our relationship to Jesus Christ. And that's how we deal with one another, period. There are no groups. There are no labels. Uh, there is no ostracizing anyone who Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Shouldn't come through the door. Verse 4, I'm sorry, step 4, a new suit. 
verses 12 through 14. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wow. We have this new self, and now we need some new, a new suit to go with our new self. Because look how we're described now uh, in verse 12. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So I'll use 2 Corinthians 5.17 again. If anyone, anyone, uh, slave, Greek, Jew, black, white, brown, yellow, conservative, Democrat, liberal, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. They've been nailed to the cross. And behold, there's visible, perceivable, noticeable growth. Newness of life. And this new suit. And if you don't think that's relatively dramatic, just go back and think about what we skewered in verses 5 and verse 8 versus how we're being able, we're being described now and what we are clothed in. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's quite a contrast from what we put to death in us. That's spiritual growth. That's sanctification. That's the line, moving up the chart. It's what we need to be. It needs to be our primary objective in life as Christians. Verse 13. Bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. You know, unfortunately, it's inevitable that not everybody is going to agree on everything. Uh, it's the world, the fallen world that we live in. But actually, that's exactly what Jesus prayed for us uh, in John 17. I'm going to read this real quick. John 17, starting in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. In other words, not just my disciples that are right here now, not just my followers that are here, but those that believe because of their word, that's us, uh, that they may all be one just as you father and are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me wow meditate on that a while <clears throat> the glory you have given me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Jesus, that's like one of the last, I mean, that's almost to the end of chapter 17 and chapter 18 is they came to the garden to get Jesus. This is this was on his heart right at the to the very end. This is what Jesus wanted for us. <clears throat> but we're going to disagree 
And we're not always going to agree on everything. But here's what we're going to do because the world is watching. You know, the world's watching. Jesus just told us that the world's watching. When we do disagree, we're going to settle our differences quickly. And we're going to settle them with kindness and humility and meekness and patience. We're not going to act the way that we used to act in anger and in malice and in slander. We're not going to run off in the corner and pout. And we're not going to try and uh, see how many people I can get in my camp to see things my way. That's little baby Christian stuff. No, we're going to sell it quickly. And we're going to sell it with meekness and patience. Not with backbiting, not with gossip. And not only that, but if something is said or something is done and somebody's feelings get hurt, you know what we're going to do? We're going to come together and we're going to forgive one another. And how and why are we going to do that? Well, he tells us. Because God, the Lord, has forgiven you. That's why and that's how. The same way that he forgives you over and over and over again. How many ever times it is? And you see that word down there below that in, in, <clears throat> is in verse 13? You must. This is not negotiable. That's the way I read it anyway. This is non-negotiable. Unforgiveness in the heart of a sanctified believer is not on the table. Not open for discussion. We will forgive one another because that's what mature Christians do. Because we love one another. And we're in Him and He's in us. Just like He's in you and in me. We take that ground and we... and. We do just what the Lord did for us. We forgive. You know, Peter, you got to love Peter. You know, Peter, trying to be all spiritual, walks up to Jesus one day and says, Oh, Lord, how many times we give somebody? Seven? <laughs> Jesus goes, Yeah, okay, Peter. How about seven times 70? How about that for starters? Forgiveness. It is absolutely non negotiable. For us not to forgive. And then in verse 14, Paul goes a step further. In addition to, on top of, above everything else, is what he says. Uh, so not only is it important, but it's most important. Uh, above all, these things, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Well, if you don't remember what that looks like, let's turn over to uh, let's turn over to First Corinthians 13 real quick, and we'll do a uh, refresher. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And what will that accomplish if we do that? According to Paul, it will bind everything together in perfect harmony. Do you believe that's obtainable? Do I believe that's obtainable? Perfect harmony in this church? I don't know how you could ask such a question. If you don't believe that, if I don't believe that, what am I doing here every Sunday? I mean, you know, the dogwoods and the azaleas are blooming, which means the fish are biting. You know, my boat is charged up, gassed up. All I got to do is back up to it 
And so if I don't believe this is possible, I just need to go fishing. You need to do the same or go do whatever you want to do. If you don't believe this is possible. Verse 15. You should like this. I like this. I've always liked this. Uh, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body and be thankful. The word rule there is arbitrate or umpire or referee. Okay? So Paul's saying uh, we have a referee, we have an umpire who can call the balls and strikes and I don't know, any Arkansas fans here? I don't know. I mean, any Razorback fans? Uh, does it seem like we always get the short end of the stick on the, uh, from these referees? I mean, you know, it seems like we always are getting the bad calls. Well, we've got an ump here who doesn't make any bad calls. No bad calls from this ump. The Holy Spirit is ruling, umpiring in your heart. So just basically... Uh, if you start to do something that you probably, or maybe especially if you start to do something that you have already tried to justify yourself, you know, we're great justifiers when we want to do something. Uh, But you're in this process of uh, making this decision, and even though most of the time, most of the time it's pretty clear right here in this book what we need to do, but, you know, occasionally there are those times where, what should I do? Should I, should I love this person? Should I marry this person? Should I go to this school? Should I take this job? Whatever it may be. So you're in that process and kind of out of nowhere, this little tap on your shoulder And this little still, small voice begins to speak to you and you start to lose your peace. This is when you need to sit up and pay attention. This is when you need to listen up. My daddy, again, listen up, boy. Talking to you. Trying to tell you something. How many of you can raise your hand with me and say, I have ignored that happened to my great regret? Because when I got there, when I had done whatever I'd done, when I had ignored God, I really had nobody to blame because I, he told me, he tried to tell me and I wouldn't listen. So that's great. I I like that. An umpire, the peace of God, the peace of Christ in you. Calling the balls and strikes. And then down at the end of that verse, and be thankful. You know, ungratefulness is just an ugly trait. It just is. Whereas uh, someone who goes out of their way to tell you how much they appreciate something that you've done for them is just a blessing. I mean, it just, uh, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't like that? Who doesn't want to, you know, who wants to, you know, Jesus said when he hired the only one to come, where's everybody else? I don't know, but I sure hope I can be the one that's grateful enough to go back and say thank you. Verse 16, 17. That five. 
Let's take the next step. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read this and because there's really another sermon here. Uh, and uh, I'm going to want to give you one more illustration, something maybe you can hang your hat on, and uh, then we're going to pray. But let's read this real quick. Let the word of Christ dwell, that like abide, dwell in you richly. Uh, not superficially, not just barely, but richly. Word of Christ, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And that... Uh, yeah, that's, that's why your worship leaders need to be just as qualified as your pastor. I can't tell you how blessed that we are to ask Ted and Emily. I don't tell them thank you often enough, but thank you guys. We're so blessed to have them. In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Take the next step. There's a little story. I'm just going to tell it to you. You can go look it up if you, and read it if you feel like it. In Ezekiel 47, chapter 1 through 6 or so, uh, God takes Ezekiel into the temple, and he looks, and he says, Look, and there's water issuing out from underneath the door. And then he takes him around the outside of the gate out of the temple, and it's flowing. It says it's flowing east out of the temple. And it says that he measured out a thousand cubits and that the water was ankle deep. And he measured out another thousand cubits and the water was knee deep. And he measured out another thousand and it was waist deep. And then it says he measured out another thousand and he said you could swim in it. Matter of fact, it says you couldn't get across it. You get far enough out there and you realize that there is absolutely no, you cannot exhaust the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. You just swim around in it. It just overwhelms you. You can't get across it. If you've been hanging out at the kiddie pool, Knocking the little kids down. Let's measure out a thousand. To the glory of God. Because Jesus is in you and you're in Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer of Paul's. Because I just think that it's so tremendous, but we're going to pray it for us. So as the, you guys want to start uh, making your way back up, but let's just pray this. For this reason, grasping the greatness of this plan by which the Jews and Gentiles are joined together in Christ, I bow my knees in reverence before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. God, <clears throat> the first and the ultimate Father, may he grant us out of his riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through his Spirit in our inner self, indwelling your innermost being and personality, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And may we, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, all of God's people, the width and length and height and depth of his love, fully experiencing that, full, that fullness, endless love, and that we may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, but that we may be filled up throughout our being to all the fullness of God, so that we may have the richest experience of God's presence in our lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.